Covenant Podcast exists to equip listeners with theological content from a 1689 Baptist perspective. We pray you find this resource edifying, faithful to Scripture, and Christ-exalting. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Covenant Podcast. Jimmy Johnson here with my co-host, Austin McCormick, and we have the privilege of having Bennett Rogers on again. Welcome to the podcast again, Bennett. Glad to be with you, brothers. Can't wait to talk about uh, Bunyan and his work with you. Yes, yes. We will be talking about John Bunyan all episode. So just to get us started, Bennett, please give us a sketch of Bunyan's lot or Bun. Bunyan. <laughs> right, right. Bunyan's yeah, Okay. So <laughs> Bennett Bunyan. Bunyan, right. Not the not the guy with the axe and uh and the blue the blue ox, right? Not Paul Bunyan, John Bunyan. Right. So um He's born in 1628, so eight years after the Pilgrims come to America, uh, Bunyan's born. We don't know that much about his early, you know, his life as a young child. We know his dad was a tinker. That's someone who mended pots and pans, uh, which means he was not a wealthy man. Uh, His family wasn't a wealthy family. And Bunyan, after the Civil War, will come back and and become an apprentice to his father to follow in his footsteps as a... uh, a rather poor a mender of pots and pans and knives and forks. Uh, so he's born in 1628. Um, in 1644, tragedy strikes. His mother and his sister die in an epidemic, and his father marries somebody new in about a month. And so this estranges John Bunyan from his father, and he runs away and joins the army. The, the English Civil Wars have begun. He joins on the parliamentary side as about a 15-year-old, right? So he's uh, he's a really young man, uh, seeing the horrors of war, seeing violence up close. So these things have an impact on Bunyan. If you've read his works, you know that military themes in combat uh, come up all the time. I mean, the Holy War, which is a I think one of his great um, underappreciated works, is it's it's a military story. It's about this great conflict, and so all of that military imagery that we love in the Pilgrim's Progress from these other works. This is where it comes from. It comes from being a a real-life combatant and a real-life killing war. Uh, He's in the war for three years. He almost dies on one occasion, he recounts in his autobiography, Grace Abounding. He said that that he was supposed to be stationed as a century. We think it's probably near Oxford. That seems to be where he might, uh, this might have taken place. And he was supposed to go out one night and stand sentry. Uh, a buddy of his uh, said, I'll go in your place if you go for me tonight. I'll go for you tonight if you go for me tomorrow. And that night, his friend is uh, shot in the head and killed. Um, so Bunyan you know, missed death barely at that point. Um, he leaves the military in 1647 and goes home to be a tinker to his father, which would have been a very frustrating, uh, unhappy time for Bunyan because their relationship was still not good uh, after his father's um untimely remarriage after his mother's uh, passing. So he works with his father as a tinker for a couple years. In 1649, he marries a Puritan's daughter. Now that's interesting because a Puritan's daughter shouldn't have married someone like John Bunyan, who didn't love and trust the Lord and wasn't serious about religion, but it happened. And uh, in God's providence, uh, this marriage that took place in 1649 uh, made a, a significant mark on Bunyan's life. We don't know the woman's name. Uh, We don't know her father's name. Really, all we know is that when her father died, she he bequeathed them like, you know, some some uh, plates, knives and forks and two Puritan books. And those books had an impact on Bunyan and began to get him thinking and were part of his spiritual pilgrimage, which we'll talk about probably in in a little bit. Uh, She dies at some point and uh, he's going to marry again later on. But if you read Grace Abounding, what's What's amazing and what's frustrating about that book, it's, it's a lot like Augustine's Confessions in this respect, is that the story just goes along in a narrative fashion, and then it goes completely interior, right? He's just going to talk about the internal workings of his soul, and you don't know what year it is, you don't know what he's doing, you don't know what's going on outside, everything that you read about, the only thing that matters is is his heart, and that's all he talks about, and so... Uh, What we read at this point in his life in Grace Abounding is that um, at some point he gets the desire to be religious. And for him, that meant to be a religious communicant at the local Church of England parish church. And so he was, he said, superstitiously devoted to that church, uh, 
to the prayer book, to the services, to the minister. He said he regarded anything holy that had anything to do with that building, that place, that service, that minister. And he uh, just thought he was he was doing pretty good. Uh, one day while he was breaking Sabbath, though, he was playing a game called Tip Cat. And he said he had this sense that Christ was angry with him and looking down on him in anger uh, for Sabbath breaking, for his open immorality. And uh, he said it was an awakening glance. So that began it for him. Uh, and he really started to seek. Um, well, initially, he, he, he sort of brushed that away and went back to his sin. Um, but after being rebuked by a profane woman, just women play a really interesting role in Bunyan's life, whether it's his unnamed first, uh, his mother's death, his, his uh, unnamed first wife. But he's rebuked by this ungodly woman, and it, and it just jars him. It makes him stop and think. Uh, it reminds me of uh, J.C. Ryle, somebody I've spent a lot of time with. Uh, Ryle's pilgrimage or, took a major step when he was hunting with a friend, and apparently he shot and missed a bird, and he just cursed. And uh, his friend said, you need to stop and pray and think and read your Bible. This is, this is, this is sin. And Ryle said that's the first time anybody ever talked to him about his soul like that. So there's a moment like that for, for Bunyan. He is, he's cut to the quick. He doesn't know what to do. And later on, uh, not long after there, he overhears, he's an eavesdropper, <laughs> and he overhears this conversation between four women. Now, again, if you love the Pilgrim's Progress, you'll know that the Palace Beautiful um, has four women there who sort of run the, who are, who represent essential Christian virtues. Maybe, maybe this is them. Those Bedford four ladies are, are uh, patience, prudence, charity, and piety, maybe. I think we can get them right. But uh, anyway, he hears them talking about the new birth, their experience, their love for Christ. And Bunyan says, you know what? I need to talk to them. I need to know what they know. I want to, I want to experience, it's a really important word for Bunyan, what they are talking about or they, they're describing. And so he gets connected with the Bedford Independent Church. He gets connected with uh, John Burton and John Gifford. And his quest for salvation begins in earnest. And so he, he begins seeking assurance. He begins sort of uh, in an evangelical way pursuing Christ. But then, and if you're reading The Grace Abounding, uh, you'll know that he hits three major roadblocks. There are, are a series of temptations, three of them, that just bring him to a halt. Um, in God's providence, these three major temptations come up all the time in his writings. Uh, the way the Lord brought him through them really shaped him. and He's going to minister out of those uh, challenges. But the first, the first real challenge he faced was he, was, he, he wondered if he was elect or not. Right. And thinking that he, he worried that he wasn't. He thought that the day of grace had passed. He he wasn't one of those for whom Christ died. He wasn't elect and he didn't know what to do. And so he wrestled with that and wrestled with that. And the Lord brought him through uh, with the help of that local pastor. It's interesting that Bunyan addresses the same issue in some other works in a beautiful way, really in a way that only somebody who knows what that feels like could do so well. So if you've read The Holy War, you'll remember that the the. Uh, the new city Mansoul at some point is assaulted by an army of election doubters, which is kind of a, a cool way of describing this. Um, and you see this also in a number of works uh, like Come and Welcome Jesus Christ. He, he, he wrestles with the objection, I want to come to Christ for salvation, but I can't because I'm not elect. So Bunyan sort of deals with that as someone who knows what that doubt feels like. Uh, the second big hiccup or, or roadblock to, to assurance uh, for Bunyan is um, it are a series of doubts. And what's remarkable, when I, when I, I explain this to, to, to middle school kids or talk to them about, about, about his the second doubt, because he doubted if the scriptures were true, um, if Christ really is the only way of salvation. Uh, he had doubts about God, scripture, Christ. Well, what about people living off in foreign lands? Isn't, aren't they, don't they have their own scriptures? Don't they have their own saviors? Thinking about Islam in particular. And he's saying, how do we know Christianity is different? Um, what's remarkable is that Bunyan's, Bunyan's wrestling with these things in the 1650s, uh, not the uh, 2020s. So those are those are very contemporary doubts that that believers wrestle with and struggle with. And these aren't new, right? This isn't because of uh, modern science or Darwinism that people wonder about these things. These were questions people have had for a long, long time. And Bunyan is a great example. If you want to sort of point to somebody who's wrestling with that four centuries ago, you can you can look at him, uh, and he's helped out there. He is delivered. Um, and then comes the big one. Uh, Bunyan was apparently 
sorely tried by the devil, um, sorely tried by the devil. Uh, and there was a season in his life where he was being tempted uh, to blaspheme the Lord day and night. I mean, it was almost, it's, when, the way you read it, it's like it's unrelenting. And Bunyan says, in a moment of exhaustion and weakness and tiredness, he says, you know, I'll let him go if he will. And at that moment, Bunyan thinks he's committed the unpardonable sin. So if you have read part one of the Pilgrim's Progress and you've looked at the man in the iron cage in the house of the interpreter, that's who Bunyan thinks he is. He thinks he's Esau. He thinks he's the man in the iron cage. And he is despairing for life. Um, he is, or, or think about Doubting Castle when Christian Hopeful are there. He's, if you read Grace Abounding, you can kind of hear this same sort of sentiments in the mouth of the man in the iron cage or in Doubting Castle. Um, and he is, he is just gutted. Uh, he stays in this period of uh, this phase of spiritual despair for months and months and months. Um, and finally, his pastor helps him out. Another guy helps him out. I think his name is Martin Luther in the commentary on Galatians, which um, so we should write a book on the number of important people that book has converted, because I think uh, the Wesleys were impacted by uh, Luther's commentary on Galatians and Romans, and certainly Bunyan was. And so he he he's helped out of that. He comes to see that, that, that he didn't really deny Christ and commit the unpardonable sin, but he's still struggling. And then one day he has that field experience, right? It's almost... I mean, I've almost put it to memory. It's just so powerful, right? He's walking through the field, not knowing whether all is right between him and the Lord. And then he he realizes that his righteousness is in heaven and it's perfect. And so for him, it's, it's grasping justification by faith alone. That's the key. So in Grace Abounding, he says that like his soul was held in the balance, uh, sometimes good, sometimes bad. Um, but grace abounded over the law as he came to understand justification by faith alone experimentally. And that, that did it for him. That delivered him. He became a Christian. He joined the Bedford Independent Church. Uh, he began to express an interest in ministry. His gifts for ministry became evident. Uh, he began to preach. Um, his preaching was apparently very uh, successful and uh, blessed by the Lord. In Grace Abounding, he recounts some of those early experiences. And uh, then in 1660, Charles II is restored. The Act of Uniformity is enforced. John Bunyan is faced with the decision. Should he hang up his ministry um, and conform to the worship of the Church of England, or should he break the law and uh, continue to preach? Um, has sort of a contemporary ring to it uh, in, in certain ways. Um, and what he, what he decides is that it's better to obey God than man. He continues to preach. He's thrown in jail, and he spends the next 12 years uh, in jail, roughly his 30s in jail. Uh, he does so willingly. I mean, in one sense, the key is always in the cell with him, right? If he just would conform, he gets out. And that must have been an incredibly difficult trial to know that you can get out, right? Um, he has a wife. He's married a new wife. I believe her name is Mary. She's a wonderful wife to him. Uh, he, has a, he has children. He has a blind child named Mary who he loves. And uh, he actually has a child who dies while he's in jail as well. So um, he is, it really is a, you know, as I think back through this, it, his, um, his suffering in prison, you know, it almost would be easier if he had no way out. Like if there was, uh, you know, if there was no way to get out and he could, you know, basically he could say, I can't do anything about it, but, but he could, he just didn't. And he stayed in jail until uh, 1672. While he was in jail, he did some writing, and uh, that writing is some of the most important Christian literature ever produced. Um, Grace Abounding is one of the great spiritual autobiographies uh, in church, church history, especially in the West. Uh, that was written while he was in prison. So was uh, the, most of part one of the Pilgrim's Progress. So the Lord brought good out of evil in his life in that way. All sorts of great stories about Bunyan uh, preaching out of the window of jail or preaching uh, in jail to like a rapt prison audience. Uh, lots of great stories there uh, to, to sort of think about. But the Lord really used that time in his life in an amazing way. He gets out in 1672. The Pilgrim's Progress is published a few years later. He's an interna not an international celebrity, but he's a celebrity at that point. Uh, the religious leaders refer to him as Bishop Bunyan because he's so influential. Uh, his suffering certainly earned the respect of other nonconformists. His writings earned the respect of everybody else. And he has a remarkably fruitful public ministry uh, until 1688. Uh, in 1688, uh, he hears that a father and son have become estranged, just something that, that, that he himself experienced. And so he, he rode 
to go reconcile the estranged father and son. He did reconcile them, but on the trip, he contracted an illness for which he died a few days later. Um, and that uh, that happened in 1688. So that's, um, that's sort of a sketch of Bunyan's life. We could talk a lot more about some other some parts, and uh, but I think that, that gets a rough, some of the rough outlines. Yeah, thank you for that. And uh, one part of Bunyan's life that we do want to uh, further talk about is his sufferings that you alluded to in the sketch. So what can Bunyan teach us about enduring suffering and holding fast to it? Wow, he has so much to say. Um, and I'll, let me throw some numbers out to you. If you're using the um, the works of John Bunyan, sort of the, the this edition, the banner, three-volume edition, uh, in Grace Abounding, check out paragraphs. They're numbered, actually, 321 to about 330. And that's where Bunyan recounts the big lessons he learned in prison um, from suffering. And so he, as you read through this, they're, they're remarkably... Uh, powerful. He says uh, right off the bat, he said, I never had in all my life so great an inlet into the word of God as now. So God was with him and near him there. He goes on to say that um, that uh, I never knew what it was for God to stand by me at all turns and at every offer uh, to Satan to afflict me. So he's he has remark. God is with him there. Uh, you almost think of, of uh, Daniel and his buddies. Um, in the book of Daniel, how the Lord is with them, how the Lord is with was with Bunyan in jail, and that helped him, I think, remain steadfast to the Lord as he uh, suffered. Um, we're told also that uh, he said there's a great statement in in Grace Abounding too. He said during this time, like the second great truth he learned was was to live upon God that is invisible. That's a great statement. Um, this statement shows up in the Pilgrim's Progress when Christian is drowning in the river. And Hopeful is trying to encourage him to keep him sort of uplifted as he's dying. Do you, do you remember, remember that moment? And, and he said, he's thinking, the Lord has just brought me here to convict me of my sins and to judge me here. And, and Hopeful says to him, no, no, my brother, um, like these tests are merely sent to, to try you, to test the genuineness of your faith, to see if you will, or to teach you to learn upon God, learn to live upon God who is invisible. It's almost word for word. Um, so you really see that in, in, in Bunyan and Hopeful in the River. Uh, that's what prison teaches him to do. It teaches him to, to learn to live upon God who's invisible. Um, he notes, though, as you read this, that, that he's a real man, and this is a real struggle. He talks about the, the difficulty of separation from his wife, uh, from his, his children. He says this, notwithstanding all these helps, I found myself a man and in compassion. Uh, compassed or encompassed with infirmities the parting with my wife and poor children hath often been to me in this place as the pulling of the flesh from my bones so even though you read about these great like spiritual insights and god's closeness to him here uh, this is a grueling time for him it's not romanticized in, in any sort of way um and then there's a great thing at the very end he said uh i'll i also learn this consideration to that i should ought to now venture all for god if God's calling me here, I'm going to trust him completely, no matter what that means for my life, no matter what that means for my wife, no matter what that means for my, my kids. And so it really taught him to, to live upon God who's invisible, to rely on him all the time, and to keep trusting him no matter what. Um, and, it, and that's in the context of having to do that over and over again as you struggle. So I think that's, I think that's sort of the, the, the short list of things prison taught him that he might teach us about suffering and standing fast. Amen. Um, the next question hunkers in on or hones in on a few more specific issues when it comes to Bunyan. Um, we're Baptist. I'm, I'm pretty sure you're also True. a Baptist with us. Um, and it would be anachronistic to to ask if Bunyan was a Baptist, perhaps. So let's ask specific questions like, what were Bunyan's views on baptism, the Lord's Supper, and church membership? Wow, okay. Well, this is uh, this is kind of the naughty Bunyan, right? At least uh, in, in Baptist circles. So, um, you know, if you, read, uh, if you read the Pilgrim's Progress, you'll find almost nothing about baptism. I mean, there's, there's something in part two when... Uh, I think I think when Christiana and her family get to get to uh, the Palace Beautiful, they take a bath, but it's not altogether clear if that's baptism or not. Um, 
kind of as an aside, that's probably why one of the reasons why the Pilgrim's Progress is not just a book for Baptists, uh, but pretty much all Protestants everywhere love it or have loved it because it it doesn't sort of he do, isn't making a case for being a Baptist in that book. Uh, Bunyan's views are are pretty interesting um, as far as. Let's start with church membership, because I think that that would be a good place to start on wrestling with these issues. For Bunyan to be a church member, you had to have, there are two marks, right? You had to have saving faith, and you had to have a gospelized life. So saving faith and a consistent life. That's what he says in, in his debates with uh, Close Communion Baptist after he gets out of jail. So that's that's how you get in the church. A baptism, he does not believe, is an initiating ordinance. Uh, baptism, he believes, is a matter of individual conscience, and you are free or not free. You are free to to either uh, baptize uh, your children uh, before they have faith. Uh, you, you know, you can baptize. You can sort of embrace the Baptist position of baptism uh, for believers only, um, or you cannot baptize at all. And so that's sort of Bunyan's position on baptism. Uh, it didn't make him popular uh, with, I think, more. With those for whom believers' baptism was a much greater priority, but that those were his views nonetheless. Um, you read Bunyan literature; there occasionally you'll read that he had his children baptized as infants. After this, sort of to to stick his finger in the eye of some uh, of some of his uh, opponents, but I haven't actually been able to confirm that in Bunyan sources. But you you'll catch that from time to time. Um, for him, you know, you think about the the Puritans. Within the Church of England before the Civil War, their goal was to was was to purify the, the Church of England, right, or to purify local churches. Um, and you know, Bunyan's vision of the church is it's almost purely spiritual, right? It, it is it is it's not for you know just for the baptized. Uh, it's it's for those it's for those who love and trust the Lord and um, and those who have a life that that are consistent with that. So he would admit uh, he was an open communion, um, a practitioner of open communion, obviously, if he's not going to require baptism for church membership uh, and make it a matter of private, uh, you know, uh, of individual conscience. Uh, he speaks a lot more about the Lord's Supper, at least in the Pilgrim's Progresses, uh, the parts one and two. Um, this, anytime they're having a meal, right, it's really, it's really beautiful when you look at uh, the palace beautiful when they sit down to a meal they talk about all the lord has done for them so bunyan i think likes to talk about the lord's supper he doesn't like to fight with like-minded brothers about baptism um and uh i think i've said what i want to say about those things he's for him to sort of sum up baptism is not an initiating ordinance yes that's been the historical position of the church forever but he said that's not found in scripture so he doesn't have to buy it and it's a private ordinance that you can accept or reject. The Lord's Supper for Bunyan is more important because it really does feed your faith, and is a and is a um, for him it's a it's just a it seems like Bunyan thinks that's a much more significant uh, means of grace in the believer's life. The church for Bunyan is a, is a, is literally a palace, beautiful, right? I mean, it, it is it is a place where. Um, God's people are fed and gathered and taken care of and grow. And if you read about the Palace Beautiful or some of the different houses in part two, you get an idea of what Bunyan wants the church to be. So it's a place of fellowship, communion, uh, friendship, instruction, help, healing, all these sorts of things. So um, for Baptist, I think you can really, as a, as a confessional Baptist, I really love his descriptions of the church in his allegorical works. Um, not, I, I love his appreciation for the Lord's Supper, and I think his view of baptism could use some work. So. Well, we've uh, now talked about his views on baptism, the Lord's Supper, and church membership. Now we want to transition to what we know of Bunyan as a preacher. So in what ways can Bunyan uh, benefit us in the pulpit as we study his works, and what do we know of Bunyan sure. Well, again, Grace Abounding tells us a lot. Uh, it tells us that after come, becoming assured of his salvation, after joining the Bedford Independent Church, after getting some opportunities to preach, he became zealous for it. He said that, that I, I couldn't rest unless I was using my gift, which makes sense of his willingness to sit in jail for 12 years, uh, 
instead of refusing to, to, to do so. And so he was a zealous preacher. He tells us in Grace Abounding sort of what he preached, not so much specific text, but his method. It said he, he began with the law. And he says, uh, after saying, you know, I, I started with where men are with their sin. He said, and I preached what I felt, what I smartingly did feel. Very famous line from Bunyan. But Bunyan's preaching, if anything, it's experimental. And I think if, if Bunyan has something to teach us as preachers, it's he can help us think about how to preach our experience or Christian experience without preaching ourselves. So Bunyan does that really well, that he can he can talk, he can minister from his experiences. In fact, the better you know him, the more you see him doing this. He can talk about election doubts, for example, and wrestling through what that doctrine means and does not mean. And he doesn't even mention himself. But if you know his works, you know that he has wrestled with these very questions and he's able to teach people with it without making it about, you know, about himself. So I think that's a, a really good help for us as, as preachers that that he is a master of preaching experience, Christian experience, his own experience without drawing the spotlight to himself. So I think he's phenomenal on that. So he preached the law. He preached his own experience of the terrors of the law. And then he preached Christ in all his offices. And so, so for Bunyan, that's that's the one-two punch. It's law, it's gospel. It's law, it's gospel. All the while infusing that with his own experience. Of course, the single doctrine that uh, meant the most to Bunyan is justification by faith alone. That's always the capstone. That's always the finish line. That's always where he's trying to get. Um, and uh, so for him, the, the work of Christ, particularly the doctrine of justification, is uh, preeminent. Uh, in Grace Abounding, he says that that his goal was to preach in the darkest places uh, where people didn't love and trust the Lord. So he he wanted to go to the place nobody wanted to go, and he wanted to preach this way uh, to them. Um, we know that that he could preach well. Um, anybody who has people come to their jail cells, sit outside their window to li listen to him preach, is probably has a, a some gifts for, for ministry. Um, and uh, when he got out of jail, you may have heard this, John Owen, the great Puritan divine, uh, was asked by uh, Charles II, like, why do you listen to this guy? You're a smart, learned man. You're a, an Oxford dean. Like, why do you listen to, 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 uh, to this tinker, this amateur, like, preach? And he said, I would gladly trade all my learning to be able to touch men's hearts like he does. Isn't that, isn't that a marvelous statement? To touch men's hearts. So it's not for, for Bunyan, uh, as I think about Bunyan's like wheelhouse, um, his the he's, 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 he's good at theology. He's great at touching hearts. Um, and I think we can learn from him how to do that, especially the way he uses Christian experience to um, his own experience to minister out of uh, without bringing it back to him. And how can we forget, right? Um, like the characters in uh, the Pilgrim's Progress, right? I mean, if you want to, if if you want to see what Bunyan would say to us as ministers about oh, about like being a minister, doing the work of the minister, just look at the portrait of the very grave person uh, in the House of the Interpreter, and then look at him in living color and the person of great heart uh, in in part two. Yeah. So to piggyback off that, as you've you've been discussing his preaching and, and alluded a little bit into his ministry, let's dive a little bit deeper on John Bunyan as a pastor, because we, we know that being a pastor is more than just being a preacher. So what lessons can we as pastors learn from Bunyan as we seek sure, to shepherd? Sure, thank you. I, th I think I was transitioning there with, 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 the, last, uh, with, with the last question, but, but I wanted to get to it because— I think Bunyan has so much to offer us here. Uh, I think we don't have tons of Bunyan sermonic material. You know, we have we have works. We don't have tons of sermons. And I think Bunyan has so much uh, to teach us here, especially from um, the, the Pilgrim's Progress. So you see in part one, the portrait of the very grave person, right? The man with his back to the world, his, his eyes lifted up to heaven, the best of books in his hands, the word of truth on his mouth. Um, you know, pleading with men. You know, his job is to know and make known dark things and plead with sinners to come to the Lord. Uh, and you really see this, him come alive in part two in the character of Greatheart. And what's amazing about Greatheart in part two is that he has this, this, this 
collection of really difficult pilgrims, right? I mean, on the one hand, you have Christiana and Mercy, who are um, just sound, strong, uh, believing ladies and their kids. But you also have Mr. Fearing, um, Mr. Ready to Halt. You have guys who are weak. Um, you know, they have to, he has to defeat giants, but he also has to rescue weak pilgrims. Um, you know, you have this, this assortment of, of people to care for. And you really see, I think, how Bunyan thinks that ought to be done in part two. So he is able, a great heart is able to shepherd the weak and to uh, encourage him. I, I love the story of Mr. Fearing. Mr. Fearing is someone who, who like Bunyan, fears that, that he won't make it to the end. He won't be accepted at the end. And I love when Great Heart is sort of retell, retelling Mr. Fearing's story to a Christian and her kids, because he talks about how difficult Mr. Fearing could be with those doubts. But he said, nobody goes through the Valley of Humiliation better than Mr. Fearing. Um, he said it was, like, it was like a second home for him. So those who are really scared to sin and really fearful of God do so well in the Valley of Humiliation and the Valley of Shadow of Death. And uh, and I love at the end of that conversation he says, and I never had a doubt about him. So it so so you have you have with great heart this interesting collection of different kinds of believers. You have stands for truth, right, with the sword who is courageous. You have Mister Honest who is a solid pilgrim, but you've got the weak as well. And and you really see, I think, in that character, great heart, how Bunyan imagines a faithful minister leading, helping, encouraging, uh, healing, rebuking, uh, all those different things, uh, all those different kinds of people. And that's sort of the beauty, beauty of part two of the Pilgrim's Progress, right? Part one is one individual soul to heaven. Part two is a whole church, right? Different kinds of people, not just one soul, but this collection that are all being ushered there by great heart. Um, so if you want to see Bunyan's pastoral theology, he wrote, he, he wrote a, like a 1,300-line poem on uh, the, the, the church, and uh, he has a great section there about pastoral ministry. But really, if, if you want to see Bunyan's pastoral theology in living color, look at Great Heart, look at Part 2, and he has so many great lessons for us there. So rather than talking about just individual, do this, do that, let me just tell you to read that. Watch the, look at how Bunyan has him interact with these different kinds of people, in a godly, helpful way that's bringing them closer to heaven. Who were those that influenced uh, John sure. Bunyan? Sure. Well, you've got books and you got people, right? You've got um, The Plain Man's Pathway to Heaven by Arthur Dent. That's one of the books his godly father-in-law gave him. Uh, Lewis Bailey's The Practice of Piety. Both of those were those are those two books that his godly father-in-law left him when he died. Uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs uh, fires his imagination. So Faithful's martyrdom, um, I mean, that's built out of Fox's Book of Martyrs. That could be William Tyndale. That could be uh, Hugh Latimer. That could be Nicholas Ridley, right? Um, you've got Luther's commentary on Galatians played a major role in his life. In fact, some people even think that, uh, that Faithful was built off of uh, Luther, uh, or at least a portion of his pilgrimage through the Valley of the Shadow of Death is is meant to reflect back to Luther's help, uh, the way that book helped uh, Bunyan wrestle through some of his doubts. And, of course, the Pauline epistles. That really for Bunyan, justification texts. Romans, uh, Galatians, John 6, all that the Father uh, gives to me, I, I will, you know, I'll no wise cast out. That's a massive text for Bunyan that comes up all the time uh, in the Pilgrim's Progress and in other places. I mean, um, Goodwill, right? The, the personification of Christ's willingness to, to, to receive all who come to him by faith. That's John 6. Um, so those books are really significant to him. His godly father-in-law is one person who, who made an impact on him, at least through books. Uh, he met a lot of different kind of Puritans in the army. Some good, some not so good. Uh, the parliamentary army was sort of a melting pot of different religious ideas. So you could have, you could have on the one hand, wonderful Puritans, and you could have ranters and Quakers and levelers and diggers and antinomians and all sorts of other things. So, so he, he was exposed to so many different kinds of religious ideas in the army. He doesn't talk about which ones he sort of 
embraced and, and those that he rejected. We know that the ministry of Bedford Independent Church was very helpful to him. Uh, John Burton was there. Uh, and He would minister to Bunyan for a moment. John Gifford was a much more significant influence. Uh, and then we know that he became acquainted with other Puritans like John Owen and others after getting out of jail, and they had an influence on his um, life and ministry as well. So books, people, those were both, those sorts of things were influential to him. So we've talked about Pilgrim's Progress quite a bit. So that'll definitely be the answer, the one of the answers to this right. next question. Let's, let's go ahead and um, talk about some of Bunyan's most important works. What were his most important works? And where would you point someone who wants to start learning from and learning about sure, sure. Bunyan? Okay. Um, well, you got to start with the Pilgrim's Progress Part 1. But if you want to, if you want to do the sort of the, the prescribed version, um, Pilgrim's Progress Part One is a Part One, um, which means there's a Part Two with it. And what a lot of folks don't realize is that Bunyan actually wrote a work in between those two that was sort of meant to fit in between. So you've got the Pilgrim's Progress Part One, which is one soul's journey to heaven. After that came the life and death of Mister Badman, um, which is not well known, but that's one soul's journey to hell. It's not near as good as part one and two, but again, if you want to sort of get the the, the full effect, right? You do part one, you do Life and Death of Mr. of Mr. Badman, and then you do part two. Uh, and having done that, you will have a great, I mean, you will have read one of the most important books in the English language, uh, certainly the most published book in the English language after the King James Bible, um, at least for the last 400 years. And so that I would start with those three you sort of wanted to go in that order. If you just wanted to start with Pilgrim's Progress Part 1, another good one would be Grace Abounding. Uh, it, it, is a, it is a great spiritual autobiography. That's where I've gotten most of uh, what you've heard from uh, today. Uh, it's great, tons of great details. It's, it's a, it provides great insight into some of Bunyan's other works. So it, it, really, it works really well to read the Pilgrim's Progress and Grace Abounding because you see how Bunyan's experiences are translated into that work, which I think as a pastor is interesting. I mean, I, I think it's interesting how he he brings those experiences out in his works because it, in some ways it shows what he's learned, doesn't it? Like it, it, it shows now, like, okay, I struggled with election doubts and now I'm going to write, you know, now I'm going to try to make that a character or a moment in a story. So as I come to the Holy War, which is another book I would recommend, that'd be the third book I would recommend, when I see the election doubters assault Mansoul, it's, it, I find it interesting and helpful to think about, well, Bunyan has dealt with this. Now let's see what he learned. Let's see how Mansoul is supposed to respond or how it shouldn't respond or what mistakes it might make or something like that. So, so those, I would go you know, Pilgrim's Progress Part 1, Grace Abounding, The Holy War, which is so very good. Uh, it's underrated. If anybody else had written it, it would be much more famous than it is. But if you write The Pilgrim's Progress, everything else is going to pale in comparison. But The Holy War deserves to be read. It's very good. Um, great read. It's very enjoyable. Two other works, A Discourse Touching Prayer. This was one that Bunyan wrote in jail. Um, it has some barbs uh, that our Anglican friends might not like, but he was imprisoned by Anglican authorities, so you got to give him a pass uh, for attacking the prayer book uh, with vigor. Um but there, there's some great insight on prayer there, and I would commend that. When I, when I teach on prayer, I often use Bunyan's definition of prayer or some of his definitions in prayer there. Um, and, of course, if, if you want to look at one treatise, just one treatise or, or two, I would say the one would be Come and Welcome Jesus Christ. Um, it is so good. It is, it is the character of goodwill turned into a book. And there's a great, if you don't mind me reading, just, just a, a, a little section of it. It is so pastoral and warm and powerful. A Bunyan is, is, is wrestling through, um, in, in this work, there's this, there's this great place that just moved me to tears when I read it the first time. And he's imagining someone like putting up objections to coming to Christ. So, so Christ invites all to come to him, and he promises not to cast any out. And, and then Bunyan imagines someone saying, um, but I'm an old sinner, sayest thou, but I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I'm a hard-hearted sinner, sayest thou, but I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I'm a backsliding sinner, sayest thou, 
but I will no wise cast out, says Christ. And so he just goes through this over and I mean, it's just, it's, you can almost hear it preached, right? I mean, you can almost imagine hearing this and Bunyan thinking about different categories of hearers in his church that he is trying to directly address and say, you know, you may have reasons for, you may think you have reasons for not coming to Christ now, but they're not good reasons. And Christ promises not to cast you out. So there's, there, it's, it's powerful rhetorically, if nothing else. So come and welcome to Jesus Christ. Um, and Hesed Emmet has put out uh, Saved by Grace. And I wrote a, a little introduction to that or a forward to that a couple years back. And that's another good one to, if you want to get like a theological treatise from Bunyan, that's where I would go. I would go with Come and Welcome to Jesus Christ or uh, Saved by Grace. Both of those, I think, well, they're on Bunyan's two favorite themes, uh, Christ's willingness to save and, uh, and grace. So you can't miss, miss with those. Why was the Pilgrim's Progress so successful? I, we've talked about it a lot, but why did it uh, seem to have so much wow, success? Good, good question. I'm sure, I'm sure a book or a dissertation has been written on that before. Um, but here's, my, here's some, some of my thoughts on that. Um, well, it's about one soul's journey to, to heaven. And I think that resonates with a lot of people because they've got souls and they're concerned about where they go. Um, more than that, it's not just about one soul's journey to heaven. It's about every soul's journey to heaven, right? Christian represents every man, not just himself, not just somebody else. Christian stands for everybody, right? Everybody's born in the city of destruction. Everybody's lost. Everybody's condemned by the law. Um, but yet everybody's invited to come to Christ for salvation. And so everybody's got to come to the wicked gate. And everybody needs to learn those seven lessons of the house of the interpreter as they begin their Christian life. Everybody's got to come to the cross to um, have their sins forgiven and to be given Christ's righteousness, right? Everybody's got to, to go up the hill difficulty. Everybody's got to go through the valley of humiliation. Everybody's got to pass through uh, Vanity Fair. Um, everybody's got to go through the river of death. And so there's a universalness to the Pilgrim's Progress. Right. And you even get that in the story because there are a number of characters who you're introduced to, Christian, faithful, hopeful, um, that their their stories aren't all the same. Um, you know, there's differences between them. Right. Faithful has to deal with Madame Wanton. Um, Christiana and Mercy don't struggle in the slew of despond. But there are certain things that every believer has to go through, thinks Bunyan. And if Bunyan's right and if human if human nature is universal, right, if we're all sort of the same and salvation involves the same sort of things for me as it does for you, then it resonates not just with with Baptist guys who like church history, but with uh, people who don't care about any of those things, right? People, it resonates with, with Presbyterians and Methodists and Anglicans and I mean, Catholics and unbelievers uh, and, and all sorts of people. So it's not sectarian, you don't feel like you're reading a Baptist work um, when you read The Pilgrim's Progress, so it has a wide appeal uh, in that way. Um, I think the storytelling's great, right? I mean, it's just a really well-written story, and these characters are, are gripping, and their dialogue is gripping, and the events are memorable. And this was all written by a dude who almost forgot how to read. That's remarkable. Like he says in Grace Abounding that he, he received just a meager education and he almost forgot it all. And this guy writes a book that has, has stunned the ages. I mean, I've been rereading Mere Christianity and, and C.S. Lewis makes that very fact. Like how could an unlearned tinker like stun the world? Well, he understood spiritual truth and spiritual realities in God's word. Uh, I think the medium also helps too. Right. It's an allegory. And so the things in the story represent things that aren't in the story. And so you and I, um, who live four centuries later, we don't live in the same time that Bunyan did. But because it's an allegory, the story's not anchored to that place and time. Right. Um, our Vanity Fair, the Vanity Fair that we live in, that we have to pass through in the 21st century, looks different in our mind than it did in the, in, to Bunyan in the 17th. But it's the same fair. Right. It's still the world and all of its vanity. And so the fact that medium, I think, has even helped it last so long because, right, that the place of deliverance is justification. Um, 
And that's always important, right? That the, the hill difficulties might be different for individual believers, but everybody's got to go up them. Um, and so the allegory allows us to sort of think, it, it just, it, it frees it from being just a 17th century work. And we can imagine it, we can imagine ourselves as pilgrims doing the same thing in our own time and it meaning the same sort of thing. So that would be, uh, see if I got anything else. No, that's it. Non-sectarian, great storytelling, timeless presentation of the Christian experience, and the choice of allegory, which Bunyan agonized over. He thought his uh, Puritan buddies, who are known for being strict, would be really critical of his of this medium. In fact, if you read the Apology, he says, uh, I was worried about this. And so I asked some of them, what should I do? And they said, some said, write it, and some said, don't. And he said, well, I'm going to write it, because the Bible does that kind of thing with parables. And uh, when, you're when you're fishing, you use all sorts of different kinds of baits to catch fish. So for him, he justified the allegory on Bible's use of parables, uh, symbolism, typology, and also fishing. That uh, the angler uses different lures to catch the hardest fish. And so that's how he wanted to use uh, the Pilgrim's Progress. What are some final encouragements that you would like to offer our listeners as it relates to Bunyan and, and perhaps encouragements that Bunyan himself would give to Christians alive today? Sure. Um, I think I think Bunyan's advice about suffering is incredibly helpful. Um, I think, yeah, I, I just, I, you know, it's funny. We, my wife and my six-year-old both had GI scopes um, a couple weeks ago. They were both put under to have their, you know, stomachs looked at and praise the Lord, everything was good. But I'm confronted more and more and more with my inability to control anything, right? I mean, I, I just get that more and more now than, than ever. And, and you know, Bunyan in jail, that, that idea of just venturing all for God and just saying, I'm all in, I'm going to trust you no matter what, um, even if that means suffering, even if that means difficulty, even if that means hardship. Um, I, think, I think his advice to suffering Christians is very good. I think his advice to particular kinds of Christians like those struggling with election or concerns about elections. So if you meet anybody like this, Bunyan is a tremendous resource, especially in Come and Welcome to Jesus Christ, especially in the Holy War and other places like that. I mean, here's a man who wrestled with these things and came out on the other side in a good way and ministers out of it so well. So he he's my go-to. If I, if I meet someone who is struggling with, those, with, that, with that doctrine, and its implications in their life, Bunyan is a go-to guy for me on that, um, bar none. You know, usually I'll stop at J.I. Packer or, you know, some, somebody like that before I would move down the line to, to somebody that, you know, 400 years old. Um, but Bunyan's unbeatable on some of that. And, and really, something that I think it's easy to miss if you're not looking for it, but just joy in the Pilgrim's Progress. I mean, that is the engine of the Pilgrim's progress. Are there hard times? Of course there are. Are there difficulties? Of course there are, right? I mean, at the very beginning of the Pilgrim's progress, people are always trying to discourage Christian to go home, right? It's going to be hard. There's going to be difficulties. You're going to be opposed. It'll cost you your life. Uh, Mr. Worldly Wiseman says the same thing. And Christian says, I know. But there's joy on the other side. And at the very end, when he gets to the celestial city, I love their ascent to the city. Um, where Christian and faithful ask the angels, what must we do? And he's like, and there's that great, I mean, to me, it's just the, it's the powerful conclusion of the word. You must receive all the good uh, for your faithfulness to the Lord. You must receive all the joy from your sorrows. Um, so I, I, I think it's easy to miss just how much encouraging joy there is in the Pilgrim's Progress. And so I would definitely commend that to, to, to Christians who are struggling uh, or suffering, or having a hard time going up their own hill difficulty, or languishing in the slew of despond, or you know, stuck in the valley of humiliation, or fighting a poly on their own life. These, you know, the joy in Bunyan is powerful, and it comes in at the right time. And Bunyan does it, you know, he, he frames it in such memorable ways. I, I could keep talking about this forever, but I want to leave, I guess I'll leave on this. In the House of the Interpreter, Bunyan sees a series, or Bunyan, Christian has shown a series of visions 
that Bunyan wants us to, that Bunyan, I think, is saying, you need to get this if you're going to persevere as a Christian. Like You need to know this from the outset. You need to know these, these seven truths. And he comes to one at the end where he sees this, this beautiful palace, right? And there's all these people dressed in gold on top. And there's this voice that says, come in, come in, eternal glory, thou shalt win. But nobody goes because it's like barricaded by armed foes who are trying to keep people out. And that very stout man writes his name down, says, set my name down. He puts his helmet on. He grabs a sword. He fights his way in. He's cut. He gets cuts. He gets in and wins eternal glory and is welcomed. And I love Christian's, uh, Christian's response. He says, I think I know what this means. Let's go. And that's I mean, what a great, like there's no, usually the other, the other visions, there's some sort of teaching, right? Like Christian asks, what does this mean? What does this mean? And Christian says, I know what this means. Let's go. And so I think uh, there's a lot of, that appeals to me. Um, that appeals to me as a, as a believer being challenged to sort of think about the glories of the new heavens and new earth and let's go. Well, Bennett, we have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation on John Bunyan, and we're just really appreciative that you've taken all this time to uh, talk about his life, uh, his ministry, some of his theological perspectives, and uh, his contributions to the church. So thank you so much for taking the time to uh, have this discussion with us today. Hey, thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun to talk about an old friend. And to our listeners, we want to wish you grace and peace. For additional content, check out our blog ministry at covenantconfessions.com. Also, keep up with our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Next, head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Lastly, thank you for listening to the Covenant Podcast. Grace and peace to you.